0: Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. You are listening to a podcast by Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. If you enjoy Faith Over Breakfast, we encourage you to rate it on the Apple Podcast app, on Spotify, or Google Play. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. All right. So, uh, so welcome to, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast, everybody. I am, I am sitting today with somebody different. Eric is actually out. I don't know why. Uh, he just told me he wasn't showing up today. So that's a, that's a mystery, but good thing. I'm not alone. I've got, I've got a friend here. I've got Conley Owens. Um, and so this is, uh, this is my first time meeting him essentially in the Faith Over Breakfast format. Um, we found out a, a, another pastor, author of a book, was in town, and I just said, hey, man, uh, let's go to Alice's Cafe and uh, and get to know each other. Turns out I've read your book, so that works, and, uh, and that's the concept of this podcast. It's two pastors sitting down having breakfast, and we haven't scripted this thing out. I, I don't know where it's going to go. He doesn't know where it's going to go. We're just meeting each other, and somehow we let you sit at the table with us, so thanks for hanging out, and so... Conley, thanks for uh, thanks for being with me, man. It's good to meet You're you.
1: Welcome. Yeah. How about that weather?
0: Uh, oh, <laughs> well, the weather! Wow. I mean, it's uh, it's getting warm over here. I don't know about about you. You're in Silicon Valley.
1: Yeah, it's always nice here.
0: Yeah, it is always nice there, man. It's uh, it's it's really nice here, except for starting about right now, and then it gets to be just a tad bit much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so hey, so you wrote. Um, you wrote this book that I've read and it's, you know, I want to, this is, this is all I know about you at the moment. It's called the Dorian principle, Dorian or Dorian.
1: Dorian is how I pronounce it. Of course, like, you know, if you were going to pronounce it, uh, using, you know, a Greek pronunciation would be like Dorian, I think. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I find it easiest just to say Dorian.
0: Yeah. We'll let it slide. We'll let it slide. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a biblical response to the commercialization of Christianity. So that's uh yeah that's interesting. And but but before we go into that, um, well actually no. Why don't you just throw out lay down the principle of this book for us? What what is this book about?
1: Yeah, well, let's start off by pointing out that uh, you know, a biblical response to the commercialization of Christianity. I think a lot of Christians realize that there's there's something wrong with uh, religion being commercialized. And they can see that pretty clearly in a lot of the televangelists, a lot of the prosperity gospel preachers. But then it's not clear what distinguishes their practices from the practices of good teachers that are also engaged in a lot of commercialization. And so I'm trying to, yeah, what I'm trying to do is like figure out where that dividing line actually is other than just, you know, the ick factor. I don't like what this guy's teaching or something like that. Right, And so the the principle, the Dorian principle, basically distinguishes between co-labor and reciprocity, where reciprocity is uh, the gospel being exchanged for money or for something else, um, as though the minister is the source of the gospel and the one who you are obligated to give back to, whereas co-labor, you're giving to the minister out of an obligation to God because you recognize that he is the source of the gospel. And this, I believe, is the distinction that several biblical authors make. Uh, you see this in Jesus and Paul and John. Um, so, so just to give one example, and the word "dorian" is the Greek adverb that means freely. Uh, Jesus yeah. and Paul both use it to talk about their teaching being free of charge. That they don't, they don't. Uh, they won't even accept anything in return for their preaching. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you receive, freely give. In the next couple of verses, he says, a worker is worthy of his food. So you have those, those two things there. Yes, the worker is supposed to be supported. Um, but you also have that the worker is not supposed to be charging for his ministry. So holding those two together, making sure the minister is supported by co-labor, but not by reciprocity. That's uh that's basic the basic principle.
0: Okay. Um. So so now though just tell us about you. And uh, and I think one of the things that that stood out, you know, one of the immediate as I I had just read a little bit of your bio somewhere and then I got the book is I I saw I believe you're bivocational, right? Um and and I saw that and I went, "Ah, okay, there's going to be a lot there's going to have to be a lot of nuance here to work this out, right? As uh as your you do have you have another job and you're in Silicon Valley. It's an expensive place to live um, from what I hear uh, or compared to Tucson, Arizona. Um, so I thought, yeah, yeah this has got to be interesting. So, but tell us about you and how, I guess, first about
1: just who you are, where you are, what you're up to. All that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm a pastor at Silicon Valley reform Baptist church, and I'm also a software engineer at Google. Uh, and yeah, a lot of people come into the book thinking that uh, because I'm bivocational, I'm going to be arguing that all ministers should be bi vocational or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not not the case at all. In fact, um, my church has a confession, you know, the 1689 yeah. Second London Baptist Confession in it. It says that pastors should be full time. So I actually believe that in an ideal world, I would be full time. It's just our church doesn't have the resources at the moment to make that happen. Uh, yeah. but Lord willing, should they, I would, I would absolutely love to be in full-time yeah. ministry. Uh, a little more about me. I'm, uh, the father of eight kids, um, eight kids of, as of recently, if you, if you get the book on the back of the book, it says, uh, uh, father of seven kids. I've got eight now. Wow, That's
0: awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And and uh, and no wonder your church you know needs you to work at Google for a little bit you know they got to grow a little to support those eight kids and uh, you know <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> um, very cool and then okay so tell us about your church tell us about you know tell tell yeah, me sure. about working at Google I mean what what's it like to work at a church and Google um, sure I I'm super interested
1: yeah so our, our church is uh, we're currently thirty members. A lot has been happening recently it's a it's an older church it's been around since 1959 been through wow. ups and downs wow. uh, but the past three years we've been praying a lot about the great commission and god is starting to really answer those prayers it's really uh it's a really exciting time in the church a lot of vitality a lot of people um coming into membership and a lot more on the way so I, i'm very excited about what the lord is doing here and this is really uh I really consider this to be one of the most important mission fields in the world. Hopefully, you know every pastor considers their mission field an yeah. important one. But I'm <laughs> there are a lot of people leaving California for all kinds of good reasons. Yeah. I'm staying here they're because all... I I really believe in this mission field. Uh, hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're all coming here. It turns out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> hey, Arizona is a pretty good place.
0: It yes, so, it is. It is.
1: <laughs> so yeah, working at Google. I mean, it's a uh, yeah, you know, it's not always the easiest place for a Christian, but it's not as hard as some people make it out to be. I mean, even people who work here a lot of times hide their faith more than I think they should. I, yeah. I think that if they opened up a little more, they'd be surprised at uh, how open people are to talking. You know, when you're yeah. a, a lot of the problems right now uh, with uh, so much division in the world and hostility are because people are communicating from afar. But when you're up close and personal with people, you know it, it's not so bad. Hmm. So yeah, I uh it hasn't been um it hasn't been that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. That's one of my when I one of my arguments for bivocationalism is that exact thing that you just said. I feel like when when a pastor knows that from intimate and regular experience, they have an easier time um, convincing their people of that um, right. and and that's one of the benefits so i'm I'm bivocational as well and one of the the benefits for me has been that regular time in the lives of just the people of our of our city and and being able to kind of report back to our people say hey people are okay with talking about what they believe and they're curious um you know and even people who are really angry if you give them some space and just listen to them. That yeah, goes a long way. You know, and and part of my bivocationalism sort of puts me in that, in that space to, to know what I'm talking about, you know, right. without, without the pastor hat on,
1: I guess. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of authenticity to that. Um, yeah. One of the difficulties though, is I haven't been in the office for, you know, two and a half years oh. or whatever it is. So right. my, my interactions aren't always uh, are kind of really local at this point. But,
0: um, wow. Yeah, yeah. that That's an interesting, uh, interesting era of time, isn't it? To, uh, <laughs> to do
1: such things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Another, another kind of interesting thing about uh, being a Christian at Google is, uh, it, it's an interesting time in the world where, uh, corporations are growing. And, uh, a lot of, I have heard people say that corporations are the new polis, you know, polis being the mm-hmm. Greek word for city mm, that, yeah. uh, a lot of what scripture says about cities and stuff could could be applied to corporations yeah. at this point because they are kind of like the uh the society that a lot of people live yeah. and breathe in and uh it's one wild. of the things that's happening is as uh, as these different corporations are trying to support diversity a lot of them are starting employee resource groups not just for uh different ethnic backgrounds and stuff but even for religious groups and yeah. Uh, Google's one of the companies that's recently formed one of these. And so it's, it's this interesting thing where, you know, the, the Christian group that's existed there for a long time now has more formal of an identity. And there's, there's uh, challenges that come along with that. Cause now, you know, there's like some degree of budget and things like that. And it's, uh, it, so... but, it's
0: but it's gotta be this very ecumenical group that all of a sudden now you have to decide what, What form of Christianity can we all practice or discuss together? Right? It's it's the it's the the trouble I see in our Christian schools here in town is all of a sudden it's a mashup of all the different denominations, and it's like, uh, so what is the Bible teacher gonna teach? You know, this is
1: (laughs) right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and so part of part of what I feel like my role in the so I'm in the steering committee for this group part of my role, I feel like has been to guide people towards we we wrote our own little constitution and stuff. Um, guide people towards structuring the authority structure so that uh, the steering committee really doesn't do anything except for like establish the uh, infrastructure to facilitate connections, you know, oh, we admin the mailing list. We uh, You know, make sure that budgets only get spent on things like social mixers or swag, you know, but but really let let's let everything else happen organically. Let's let, you know, any formal speakers that are brought in, let's let, you know, that just happen organically through the members of the group just doing these things grassroots and uh, and that way you avoid having to worry about having any kind of top-down structure. Well, where maybe in two years, you know, it's a totally different set of people who's running it and they have a totally different opinion about what kind of speakers they want to bring in or, or that kind of thing, you know?
0: Wow. That, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thing to get get to be a part of. And, um, man, I don't know. I, I, I hate to root against you like for your full-time, uh, pastor role, but you know, I, as I'm hearing this, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad you're there. You know, I, I don't, I won't pray for that or anything. I don't want, I don't want to mess up your plan, but.
1: (laughs) You know what I, what I'd really like to do since I'm here in Silicon Valley, I'd love to be pastoring a bunch of people who are in similar situations and being able to kind of influence how they're influencing, uh, you know, at a, at a higher level. I Um, think getting that experience and then being able to do that, I'd love to do that. And right now the church is small, but as it grows, you know, maybe there'll be a lot of opportunities to, uh, to direct people in that way.
0: Well, no matter if you, if you end up full-time or not having had this time of experience, whether this is something that you end up doing for a long time, or if you just reflect back on the experience, I'm sure it's going to prove very, very valuable as you guide other people. Yeah. Okay. So this, when I thought about, when I was thinking about, you know, sitting down with you here, I thought there's a couple, couple lines of thought I could go on. one is I, I thought, so coming out of who you are, um, and your, and your journey, um, you know, why, why this topic of all topics um, in the, in the world, you know um, why, why, why this one? And I actually, I would love it. um, I would love to first know, is there anything just in your, in your journey, in your life as a believer that like, has there been a rock in your shoe um, for a while and where did it come from? And, and, you know, put us, put this in a relational context for us so we can see your heart in it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, so as a software engineer, I do a lot with open source software. If people don't know yeah. what open source software is, basically uh, <laughs> a quick way of saying it is it's software that's free. But yeah, um, yeah all, all other engineering disciplines, you're allowed to take things apart. You're allowed to open up the hood of your car and play with things and put things in take things out. Uh, with software, if you do any of that, you end up making a copy in the process and you violate copyright law. Oh. <laughs> so uh, Software engineering is just very different. And so in order for people to have that same kind of engineering experience, you have to apply a more liberal copyright license to your code in order that you know people can use it the way they want to. And there's just been a lot of uh, development in the software world so that people realize that you know locking down the code is not the, always the best way of making money. In fact, we can often uh, get a lot more adoption of our products if we... If we uh, offer them freely and, and charge money elsewhere, okay. Uh, so at Google, you know, I was uh, for a little while I was the guy who would release Android as open source. You know, I would push the code out, and, yeah. <laughs> and I've worked on Chrome, which is another open source project. Now I'm working at on uh, open source at Google in general. And anyway, so I've had a lot of thoughts about open source software and how efficient it is, and uh, I because of that, looking at the way the church often deals with copyright right. Using it to the full force in order to secure revenue streams often. Yeah. That, that was the rock in my shoe feeling like, boy, it seems like this is not, uh, conducive to advancing the gospel, especially when I've seen other people, uh, you know, use copyright in such a way that's, that's looser that, uh, Hmm. that, uh, promulgates you know these products or whatever why can't we do that with with the gospel and so anyway that was that was my concern i didn't feel like i had any hard and fast you know bible verse that I could really apply yeah. to the issue but then as i was studying scripture you know leading a bible study and i started coming across more and more of these passages mm-hmm. that talk about money and ministry i realized boy there's really something here there's really something that governs how ministries uh, should be giving the gospel freely and not trying to lock it down in order to secure revenue streams.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, one of the other thoughts I was going to go after is I was going to say, okay man, here let's uh, let's be real. I you're implicating me in this book, okay? So like I have uh I've got it's, and it's fun. I've written a, I've written a couple of books. And they're they're not uh big big sellers. These have been the you know the biggest uh, money drain of my career, if you will. <laughs> um, but but I didn't. That's not why I did it. Uh, one of them was a it was a memoir about uh, about my relationship with my father that I wrote as part of the grieving process when he died. I wanted to write it and wasn't even sure if I would share it. And then I I decided to, and I'm glad I did. And then the other one is uh, is about by vocational ministry. A friend of mine wanted to kind of write up some things together and, and put it out there. And that's the one that has sold a little bit more and it's about ministry. So I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm like, yeah, we got a copyright on that book. Um, and so I was like, all right, so I'm the, I'm, I'm getting critiqued here. This is, this is good. This is healthy. Um, so, but, but I was at first going to just say, so what do you, how do you have a conversation with somebody like me about that? Who's already in the midst of it, but actually, as you're saying this, my thought went to, I don't even care about the copyright. Like, I don't, like, I look at those books. I'm like, I don't care. Quote it, print pages of it, give it away. I don't care. It's like, but it, it seems like that's just what you do. Like, that's what, right. (laughs) I don't know how else to do it, you know? Yeah. uh, I think
1: that's exactly right. A lot of people see everybody else doing it and they just assume it's best practice
0: yeah, that's, it feels like it's just part of what you, you stick at the, yeah, I, I'm really not too concerned of somebody stealing that property. Cause I, I put it out there, use it, talk about it, share it. It doesn't matter. I mean, and then, but then there's the flip side of, you know, you talked about the line, you know, where's this line. And, uh, and there's a flip side to where like, well, yeah, I, I mean, I did put in a lot of effort to, to make this thing and I don't make I don't make a lot of money. Um, I mean, it'd be super cool if we even saw 50 bucks a month off of my writing, which we don't, Um, you know, that would help my family out. Is that, is that just me being pragmatic or, you know, where, and then with these two different types of books, I wrote the memoir, but it speaks about faith. And then you've got one that's about ministry. It's not the gospel, like, as you think about those things and and the lines and so on, yeah, how how do you process that? When and when do you go? Well, I think the principle applies to you, or no, nah, you're good,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to say about that. So yeah, the, there are a lot of gray areas. You know, what counts as ministry, what doesn't count as ministry? I would guess that you know a memoir doesn't count <laughs> because yeah, I mean, so if I'm,
0: if it's I'm, been way
1: more effective
0: for ministry, by the way, than the other book. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, but you know, uh in and out. If you know in and out, the yeah, uh, yeah. You you all have In-N-Out in and out in uh We do in Arizona. All right. Yeah. So they've got like Bible verses on the bottom of their cups, right? Does that mean they have to sell the soft drink for free? Yeah. No. Right. I, I just the fact that you've decorated something with the gospel, right? Or you've given a memoir and couched it in gospel terms. Like that's not the same thing as the heart of the, what you're doing, presenting the yeah. gospel. Ideally, everything we do would be framed with the gospel in some sense but that, that doesn't make the essence of a gospel ministry
0: okay yeah well that's that's helpful because i would say like it could almost if if wrongly applied discourage they go well if i'm if i'm selling my book i guess i can't talk about the gospel if i apply the principle that'd be unfortunate um right if they were just <laughs> telling their story or something like that right
1: yeah is this is this pushing people towards secularization of everything so they can you know commercialize it no okay. no i don't think so
0: yeah, um, I mean, so, yeah, I had a couple of, like, I had a couple little topics. I was like, so what about biblical scholarship? Um, so you're doing work, like, scholarship work, work around texts, you know, things like that. Is this a is this gospel work, or is this just scholarship?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, you know, if you are, if you're doing something on biblical archaeology, or, or whatever, right. that, or Eastern, Eastern, excuse me, ancient Near Eastern culture, cultures well i don't know why i got so tongue tied there but um yeah those those things aren't the gospel themselves obviously but once you're once you're presenting scripture you know if you have a a view of scripture that and i i don't know what your view of scripture would be but you look at luke 24 where jesus explains the disciples that all scripture is about him uh first corinthians 2 where paul says he knew nothing among them except for christ and him crucified but in Acts 20, you know, he says that he didn't hold back from uh, sharing any of the counsel of God's words. Really, you know, all of scripture, if you're teaching it rightly, should be pointing to the gospel. So anytime we're presenting scripture as, and that's the essence of what we're doing, I think it needs to be, um, that counts as gospel ministry. So what what
0: I see, I see a word biblical commentary behind your right ear, you know, so that you know, should have been a free book.
1: I believe so. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Then what about like, I've got back behind me, I've got like a book on Canon text and translation. It's, you know, more theory of, you know, you know, about how the, how the formation of canons and so on and so forth. It's about texts. It's not necessarily working out the gospel from texts. It's a, it's a work of scholarship. How, how about, what about in there?
1: So, so let me go ahead and read, like, the, the formal definition of the Dorian principle I give. Yeah. In the context of gospel proclamation, accepting support is anything other than an act of co-labor, compromises the sincerity of ministry. A lot of these questions, I think, come down to, like, are you sincerely ministering, right? Does this person consider what they're doing just scholarship, or do they consider it a ministry and want to uh, assure everyone of their sincerity yeah. that they re- really desire um, what is best for them and don't have an ulterior motive of wealth in this matter? Sure. So I think when it comes to the gray areas, that's what we have to ask ourselves is, are we doing this out of a sincere desire to minister or is this, is this a business? And, you know, if someone decides that it's a business, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's fine in those gray areas, but uh, don't, don't call it a ministry and then charge for it. (laughs) Yeah. And 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 it's.
0: It's interesting cuz I think, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, one of the the Hebrew profs in Phoenix who who did some work around this. And I go, could he put in his work to to study these texts and translations without the the funding? Like how necessary, you know and and how much would we lose? I know that's pragmatism coming out, but I'm but you know, I am just I uh, these are the things I think about. How much how much of like this great scholarship that we need would we lose if uh if they weren't able to get get paid for their work like that. You know, and right. that's that's a tough yeah. thing to consider.
1: And that's what you asked earlier, you know, like what about, you know, I put a lot of work into this, shouldn't I be taking care of my family? Yeah, absolutely. A worker a worker is worthy of his wages, but if you consider in that context both Luke 10 and Matthew 10, who is the employer? It's not the people they're being sent to. It's actually the Lord who's the Lord of the harvest, sending right. workers out into the field. Yeah. And uh, so I absolutely believe that, you know, these people who are putting lots of work and should get, uh, paid for it. The question is just from where, and, uh, right. Have we abandoned a lot of the structures that would allow them to be supported well, uh, in favor of these commercial or reciprocal ones. So for example, Excuse you a know, minute. a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, professors, you know, there's a lot of donors to the schools and, right. you know, and some of it's happening through tuition where the student is paying directly for their education, but, yeah. uh, how would it really be such a radical change for them to shift more and more to being donor-based until it was just completely donor-based? I imagine as people, if there is a desire for this work, there will be the money to make it happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, this is interesting because I, I have a, I've had a lot of thoughts around some similar things, so, but, but just to dial that in a little bit, you would say, okay, so the, the professor doing work who's writing the book about canon text and translation or something like that, um, yeah, he should be paid for his work, but it shouldn't be like selling the product of the biblical study. It would be that they would be connected to believers, potentially even ideally church bodies that would say, we fund you for this work that you would then share freely versus there's your job as professor, and then there's your book sales um, on time. It's not that they can't produce the books. Um, I, you know, the, the ideal scenario here would be that they would produce the books, but they would be so well-funded by believers um, in a more of a reciprocity um, or the you know, more in the co-labor, you know, s- sentiment that they wouldn't need to also bank on book sales or, you know, at pad, they're living with book sales, depending on the situation,
1: right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and if a lot of churches recognize that this is part of the ministry of their church, you know, this professor ministering in this school by teaching or by publishing, yeah. you know, if, if they don't have the money to support him, well, they can always get help. But I think a lot of times uh, these churches would, if, if there were just a place for that, that kind of office. No.
0: So, and then just to, so most of our listeners aren't pastors, they're, um, you know, people within our church communities and kind of extended out, I mean, there's, I suppose folks that we don't, we don't have a clue about who who tune in, but they might think, okay, yeah, I'm not a pastor, this doesn't apply to me, but this could potentially apply to, you know, making of music or other, other things that have, like, any, any time that what you would engage in and sell, okay, let's, let's have fun with this. There was a guy at the Pima County fair out here. He was making, um, he was making wooden plaques with sayings on them. So somebody comes up and says, I want a Jeremiah 29, 11 plaque. I want to, I want to put that up on my wall and he carves it out, sells them to it, sells it to him for 50 bucks, violated the principle or not.
1: Oh, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, the no, yeah, yeah. essence of what's being sold is decoration. And, you know, if you want to, yeah, if you want to slap on a Bible verse, and then on top of that, there's the fact that it was commissioned work, right? So yeah. there's this, and, you know, that's what happens with with uh, preachers and missionaries. You know, when when people are supporting them, they're like, hey, we want you to go proclaim the gospel here. Here's some money to make it happen. Yeah. Um, that That's another element of what's happening there. So yeah, on multiple counts, I wouldn't Okay. I wouldn't see any of that as a problem.
0: I got, uh, sorry to pepper you, but this is what I would do sure. to your breakfast, by the way. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, I, then, so, uh, I got invited to do a webinar to, to do some training for some leaders and they said, there's a, you know, we'd like to pay you for this. Um, you know, because it's being offered, it's through a church structure, you know, good. Or is that, or should I be like, no, 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 I'm I'm, my, my local body supports me already. I don't, I don't need to take that.
1: Yeah. So if you look through the book for where I talk about honorariums, I think that honorariums are perfectly fine when it's, you know, once again, people co-laboring with you, if you like, if you're presenting at a conference and where the funds are coming from, are the people being charged at the door, that's that's reciprocity but if it's you know a church that wants to make sure that you know this teaching happens they want to work with you to make sure that their people are educated like there's nothing there's nothing wrong with uh that honorariums is co-labor and consider you know that in first timothy five honor is the word that's used yeah to speak of yeah so (laughs) so yeah yeah, honorariums aren't inherently wrong you mentioned music a second ago i'd like to go ahead and answer that one directly yeah yeah so so sure, you know, some uh some artists might have like Christian themes and but they're primarily entertainment. I don't think there's uh, anything wrong. There. Like take yeah. Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing, nothing wrong there, skillet or whatever. But uh but worship music, you know, designed for the people of God as they're gathering in formal worship to praise the Lord. I think it's just one of the worst. Uh witnesses to the world that, you know, we've got those little CCLI uh, numbers on the bottom of the projector screens, letting everyone know we paid our worship tax. Uh, you know, not, not a bad testimony from us, but a bad testimony to those who would who uh, would claim to be ministering to the church and charge the church in that way so that they can, so that they are permitted by law to sing the songs they would like to sing.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I that had never... I just don't like paying for things. So, you know, the CCLI license was always just a thing where I was like, "Eh, do we really have to do this? I hadn't thought about it as a bad witness, but I, but I mean, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, uh, I worked in a Christian bookstore when I was younger and it was right at the time when, right when like all, everybody started making worship albums instead of just albums, you know, there was, for those younger than us, right? Like there were, uh, there was a the day, wow there was albums. a time. <laughs> yeah, the wow albums. But there was a time when the music in the Christian stores wasn't primarily worship. In fact, like none of it was at first. Um, and then like Hillsong probably kind of started started something. And then eventually um, you had groups like Mercy Me and stuff where the whole album started to feel kind of like a wor- third day. Um, You know, who used to just be like a rock band. And now all of a sudden, the whole album feels like a worship service to some degree. But before that, you had like Michael W. Smith, uh, Steve Acrutis Chapman, right, who are putting out albums, you're like, it's got some vague themes about God, but this is just You know, this is just
1: not something you would sing together with other people. No, it would be weird to (laughs) sing
0: Go West, young man together in a group. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so so something something changed in there. And I remember even as a young guy working at that situation, at first I I thought, oh, whoa, yeah, these are pretty good. And then it started to just get a little nauseating, like the the way that cranked out the way it cranked out. And it was like. Yeah, there was, I, I didn't look at it as bad witness at the time, but I remember just thinking it's cheapened worship. It's made it, it was a commodity all of a sudden. It was like, who's got the better worship album? And, it, and I kind of got tired of worship, you know, as music, worship music got old at the time. And I wasn't thinking about it theologically. This is me, 17 to 19 year old me just going, I'm tired of worship, you know, and, but there was something happening in that. And it was facilitated by it being treated as a commodity in a way. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Those are some uh, interesting thoughts.
0: Yeah. How did, how did you process that time? You know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed it, uh, but I've never been very into music. So that's probably like part of why it was, you know, not, not much on the radar, but Yeah. As I, as I became interested in copyright and copyright law. Yeah. Uh, I, the, one of the first things I noticed was, you know, CCLI, like, wow, we have to pay, you know, essentially this worship tax yeah in order to, in order to come together and worship that, that just seems wrong that other Christians would do that to churches. Right. Yeah. You know, if Like if we, uh, yeah, if we want to support this, let's let's support it. But why would why would we do it in this way where we're essentially threatening to violate First Corinthians six? You know, don't take another brother to court. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, huh? Like, why yeah, we that's, that's where that it way?
0: leads. If you if they really follow up on it, that's where it leads. Yeah. Interestingly, right. Eric, who would normally be sitting with us today, he does not pay a CCLI license because they primarily they write they only sing songs out of the public domain or they write their own stuff. Oh, that's and so cool. He would be pitching in on this right now, going, "Well,
1: I never did that anyway." Uh, oh, Nice. I, yeah, I'd love to talk to him because if this, if this, uh, if more people get interested in this book, one of the first projects I'd like to do is to make a public domain hymnal. Not, uh, yeah. not just. I mean, obviously there are public domain hymnals, but one that includes newer music as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a that's a great idea. I think I think a lot of people would would enjoy that. I think it's one of those things where um, it's almost. <laughs> I saw I saw a documentary on you know like healthy uh yogurt or something and uh, they were saying that the unhealthy yogurt is just what everybody buys and once people stop buying it the healthy yogurt's gonna come in and uh and, and in a way I feel like if there were if there were great songs available that people didn't have to do the Ccli license for right they would just stop you know yeah, um, exactly they would stop using it because Nobody likes it. Um, no, I, I've never heard one one leader go, you know what I love? I love that CCLI license. It's the best. <laughs> I think it's a really great thing.
1: Um Yeah. You know what one problem with this is the fact that it used to be the case that the people writing the songs were pastors and theologians. Sure. And yeah. now it's people who are not theologically trained. You you see that in the quality of the lyrics, you know that it's, it's yeah, pretty uh it's not necessarily even Trinitarian half the time. You know, um, well, it's coming
0: from and and having worked at the bookstore, I I know this. The the Christian music companies are just owned by the they're just subsets of the other music companies out there, right? It's it's yeah all yeah. this this is just the larger this is Sony BMG producing music for a market. It's just like when Netflix made the song the the show about Summer Camp a week away. Um, that was Netflix going. We want Christians. To tune into Netflix. That, you know, the, a lot of the yeah. Christian music, including the worship, was Sony saying, We see a market here. We want to sell to it. And then they labeled it under a Christian label to make people feel more comfortable, marketed it at Christian stores, but it wasn't coming from the church. Ultimately. Right. Yeah. yeah,
1: and, and where I'm going with this is that think about the implications for fundraising. Well, if these things are coming from the church, either the pastor who's already paid or the, or the congregation who has, you know, they're pulling resources on a weekly basis. You don't have to get creative with, you know, how do we make money off this thing? If instead, you know, they're happening from these secular entities that are trying to compete, or they're happening from these, you know, uh, professional musicians who aren't operating as an arm of their church. uh, You have to start getting creative and and coming up with means like this. So yeah, if we could, if if we could restore the the authorship of worship music to being a, a higher thing, something that requires more of a, a theological effort, I think, hmm. yeah, we would see a lot of these problems become less sharp as we go on.
0: All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a left turn here for a second sure. because I'm curious. Uh, so I have been working on a project, which is, is interesting to me. So I, I've been trying to create essentially like a, an idea or small business incubator thing for, for Christians, but with a nuance that it would be people who were commissioned and sent and supported by their churches we would come alongside the church and add in some some principles of kind of entrepreneurship and growing your idea and building it out, and then hand them right back to their church. Or not even, when I say hand off and hand back, that's not even right. We want to make sure their churches know them, understand their idea, and we're just a support that comes back. And then we, we make sure that they stay under the care and guidance of their church the whole way. The reason for this is because I I had to do some old Presbyterian history, and so I'm sorry, I'm not you know I'm not a Baptist. Um, I'm just gonna you know putting those cards on the table. Um, I went to
1: a Presbyterian seminary. It's all right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and uh, and so the you know maybe you maybe you know this from your your journey. So back in the 1800s, there was a big discussion about mission boards and uh, whether or not they should be. Um, attached and under the eldership of the church and uh you know the arguers who who said they should be attached were kind of viewed as as a stick in the mud and and that you know they ended up forming these foreign mission boards um i i look back at that and then and then later on the discussion started to happen about the seminaries um in the 20s and with machin and so on but I, I saw that conversation in the 20s just having descended from the one in the 1800s about it was a continuation of the hmm. same issue. I,
1: I hadn't considered that. That's interesting. Yeah.
0: So what, what, I, what I became curious about, but I saw, I saw the two sides of the issue. In the 1800s, I saw missionaries saying, yeah, but the eldership um, and the sessions or, and the presbyteries, they don't, they don't understand what we're working on very well. They don't understand the context of foreign missions. We don't feel this camaraderie in the room. We don't feel like they they don't put enough emphasis into what we do. A missions board does, and when you know. But then the argument from you know, and this was this was dudes like Thornwell and stuff back in eighteen hundreds was yes, but then there will be a disconnect between. The churches and the mission board, and I currently am part of a mission agency, and I feel the disconnect it is not it is real and it's a problem and it and it breaks down the the money flow between the churches and the missionaries it's they're the churches don't understand what the missionaries are doing, so they give less i I could almost guarantee it um and so I wonder if in so many ways we've taken, and this would be an industry, like in Christian music, it's this separate world in, in, you know, writing and, uh, and the work of the seminaries, even the seminaries have in many ways come out from under churches, school, as I referenced before, it used to be, and I told this to the principal of our school, I said, I don't know how you, how you guys would ever Create a statement of faith for this school and know how to like teach or 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 even navigate a political division. Cause there's no church that oversees this school. If there was a church that did, it's easy. You just say it's the statement of faith of the church. That's what it is. You could come in and with a different view, but we're gonna teach from this view. We, right. so I wonder if it's that if part of the like segmenting out of all these things has created the problem where now we're trying to fund all these different things separately and the church is disconnected. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, yeah, you've got all kinds of problems. You don't have spiritual leadership from elders. You don't have financial oversight from deacons. Right. You don't have the weekly uh, gathering of the saints where, you know, these things are funded. So so yeah, I, I 100% agree that parachurch ministries in general have been uh, the cause of a, a lot of a lot of this difficulty, and that's not to say that parachurch ministries are inherently wrong. It's just uh, they introduce a lot of problems when it comes to uh,
0: particularly yeah.
1: this issue of fundraising, because you already had a fundraising stream uh, in the church, and once you separate from that, well, now you've got to get creative.
0: Well, and and the flip side of that is that it is real and true that you know presbytery. Say, if you were to take body of elders in the Presbyterian Church, presbyteries or associations in your world actually often don't have their pulse on foreign missions or on how to produce great music or how to, you know, you could check the list. So the the flip side of it is that I think that separation was bad, but the longing that those people had to, to be in a space that understood them and could really, it was, I, I get that long. Actually, I felt yeah. that longing, And I feel like, I think we can come up with better creative solutions where we can add real community and support um, and camaraderie without detaching things from the church i i personally think that's we need to bring those things back toward each other with greater creativity and conviction i don't know
1: yeah, yeah that sounds i mean that sounds great to me i i'm curious about your uh the business incubator you're talking about where why why would so mission boards i understand uh seminaries i understand yeah. why would you want businesses to be yeah. connected to the church is is this coming from some kind of like uh eschatological perspective where, you know, uh, Christianity kind of takes over secular environments or, um,
0: I I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word takes over, but I would say that I, I do believe that like Christianity's presence in those environments is extremely valuable. Um, and, and no one
1: can argue with that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And, and I would even say that like God, I mean, you know, take, you know, take old thoughts, and this is a Catholic thought, but like the leaf by Niggle, um, sort of idea by Tolkien, that like God really does like, um, you know, take our work and and infuse it into the into the new heavens and new earth somehow, which is why there's a city instead of a garden, and, um, and you know that I've got I've got thoughts like that around these mm-hmm. things, but
1: so, well, so sorry, say that say that again, so I'll be able to look this up the. The leaf what what was this oh leaf by niggle
0: um yeah and this is the uh, this is tolkien when he's uh despairing about his work um he he writes uh he has a dream and he writes this story to himself essentially um to work out like how hi- how his imperfect work um may may be taken by god and and even like beautified and perfected someday which is you know i see that you know the the new jerusalem comes down you know it just blows my mind that there's streets and gates and windows and Mm. and 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 we made those you know in in the image of god you know god god the creative god made us and then commissioned us to go into the world um and to develop it right and then we made windows and gates and and then the new heavens that descend down are full of things we made it blows my mind you know um
1: yeah yeah i've done a, i've done a little reading on this topic and i have my own thoughts on where the limitations of that could lie but yeah yeah i won't yeah i won't press them but that's that's I, interesting i'll i'll look i'll look this up later
0: i i and and leaf by niggle I, nobody i know in um, protestantism would say this is 100 percent our our thoughts but sure. it but it's but, it, it inspires for a reason there's a reason yeah. you go, know, oh i hope some of that's true mm-hmm. um but um but actually my one my my inspiration for for this this incubator came from um, reading a biography on William Tyndall. So in I'm reading about him, and there's a couple bios out there, and they're not they're not um, we don't have a whole lot of information about him uh, so they're they're piecing things together and trying you know trying to kind of fill in the gaps. But one of the things that pops up over and over again are his printers. Um, and, and they're not all named. One of them that I kind of keyed in on was uh, Merton Kaiser, And it, it hit me. I went, this guy, you know, I, I look back on it. I, I don't, it takes me a second to go, hold on. This is a man with multiple printing presses. This is crazy. You know, that's like being at Google. Right. Like you've got the you've got the tech, you've got the 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 high end technology at your disposal. And he had capital uh, to buy them. You know, this has to be a wealthy person. Um, and he is printing something that can get him executed. Right. And, and he's, it's not all he does. He just prints in general, but on the side in the, you know, in the, in the wee hours of the night, you know, Tyndall is sneaking into his shop and they're printing out the English Bible. Right. And then, and then distributing it and he's putting his life on the line. Um, You know, Tyndall is, is a martyr and, and that's, he's, he's accepting that potential fate. And I thought to myself, here is a here is an entrepreneur with capital, and on the cutting edge of technology, who has been so well discipled that he is willing to die a martyr's death. That's I want more of that. Yeah, I want and through you know, his
1: business too. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And so his business isn't it's not explicitly Christian, but he right. is enabling and bolstering the work of the gospel through his presence in the economic system, through his presence in the technological world, all these things. So, so I, uh, you know, a longing I have is to see churches. I, I, I think at the time the reason that he was that way was that the church deeply invested in him Hmm. and he probably deeply invested in it. And I think that a lot of times I see right now, somebody, you know, we got, I'm looking at a picture of a guy. He comes and says, I want to go to another country to spread the gospel. And we're just like, great, here's money, go. That's awesome. And somebody comes to us and says, I want to, I want to create a new technology that I think is going to be a benefit to the community. And I actually think it's going to like, you know, get me in the, in the center of some great conversations. And we go, oh, <laughs> well, let us know how that goes. like we don't take those people and say, "Let us disciple you more like you're going into that space let's invest in that and then we have we've kind of created this this little diagram that's called the fuzzy line that talks about like business as business as nor as normal or business as usual and business as mission and kind of ask the question like and so it's it's okay to just say hey i'm um I'm a landscaper because I need money to feed my children. That's okay. Right. That's fine. That's right. normal. But also like sometimes people have a deeper sense of calling in their work um, where they they would say, I actually like, I really believe that I can like instill gospel principles and show gospel paradigms or like do direct work that like bolsters the work of the church through my work. And, and when they're saying that, I think we can add a little bit of extra help, um, to say like, let us help you flush that idea out and move it more toward these kingdom principles, stuff like that. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's a lot of good stuff there. Um, yeah, man, I've got a lot of thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Me too. And a lot of, and I'm, and I'm figuring out a lot of things. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Anyway.
1: Yeah. One, one thing, uh, (sighs) Yeah, one thing I, I run into a lot here is because, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, clips from the show Silicon Valley, but no. one of the one of the running jokes in it is that, you know, all these different companies are saying, we're going to change the world. We're yes. going to change the world. And everybody, so many people come out here and yeah, s- some even take uh, less well-paying jobs because they think this one is going to be more impactful and change right. the world. And yeah, there are a lot of Christians who do have that deeper sense of calling. I, I think a lot of times very... Uh, ill-placed in such a way where when you know they end up working on something that's not as important suddenly like they feel devastated yeah right and it's uh yeah yeah you gotta gotta have that reformed sense of vocation before you um by that sorry i mean like uh luther's you know the, the, uh, the principles luther was instilling uh before you uh yeah get too invested in into these yeah. Other ideas where, you know, it's only once you're working on, you know, bring water to, to oh. uh yeah, starving children or, or increasing internet access in Siberia or, you know,
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And, and that's what makes, and that that's what makes doing this difficult, honestly, is because that, and that's why I use that phrase, like fuzzy line. It's very, it's yeah. very, it's not this like tight thing where it's like, well, as soon as you're serving the poor, it's missional or right? right. That's not true. Right. Yeah. Because if you make really great bread, like you love you, you've you're a baker and you make an incredible bread and, and you, you do it well and you do it with a grateful heart. Like this is, this is a worshipful piece of work. Um, yeah. that really does like, yeah, I think it glorifies the maker of all things when you make bread very well.
1: So, yeah. yeah, amen. Yeah, one one time I was on a podcast This was a very long time ago before I wrote the book. And at the end, after we we're done recording, this person who had a particular eschatological perspective, <laughs> told yeah. me, um, told me, now go and become the CEO of Google. And it really, it really got to me because I, I don't really, uh, yeah. you know, I haven't I haven't risen up the ladder very quickly, in part, because I'm so invested in my church, you know, and I've got my time split. It's like, that's, I, I don't think that the fact that I'm not the most excellent of engineers right. is uh, yeah, it's, just tracks for my, for my walk as a Christian, but no, anyway, no yeah, yeah. Anyway, no doubt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Hey man, that's, uh, I've kept you on here for quite a while and because you have a job and you know, so do I probably better, uh, <laughs> probably better call it a, call it a conversation. Sure. Um, hey, can,
1: let me, let me add one more thought I meant to yeah. throw in there while you were talking about uh, this printer for Tyndale. Uh, that's, so part of what I discovered in a lot of my research is that, um, this is how, this is how printing used to work. It used to be, you know, you had a, uh, an author who really wanted to get their idea out there and maybe they wrote, uh, a dedication in the front and when they dedicated to the queen, the queen would then, you know, fund their work or whatever. But generally it was a secular printer who decided, you know, what was going to be most, uh, most profitable for them to print. And there was no royalty system. It wasn't until the mid 18th century that you have some kind of royalty system come around. Yeah. So uh, for those who are wondering, well, how are things done before? Like haven't Christians yeah. been selling books forever? No, not really. It wasn't until the middle of the 18th century. Um, prior to that, you know, people weren't, the, the authors were not making money directly off of books.
0: And that's, and from reading about Tyndall, you don't get that sense at all that that is a motive or or a reality for him that yeah the the printer did <laughs> right, right, yeah, but not him, yeah,
1: yeah, and so He's, you have these secular businesses who are you know, or maybe religiously motivated secular businesses yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. that are doing this work,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah in in de Kaiser, what I saw was his willingness to do something so dangerous must have spoken to his belief in the in the work, but we honestly don't know enough about him to know for sure um what his motive was, but but yeah, right. You don't get the sense that Tyndall is like, you know, I've printed a lot of Bibles. I'm doing quite well. Um, no, he's, he's doing it as a sense of like, I must, there's a burning in my bones. This, the Bible must be shared. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Hey man, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. It was, uh, it was good to meet you and the, yeah, the book is the Dorian principle and, uh, and actually I, I found it really interesting, man. I, I, uh, I thought to myself, I, I said this is a this is a topic I haven't seen explored, and you did a good job. I think it was uh, it was really well well done and thorough, and I'm sure you'll get a lot of other people uh, asking you a ton of questions like I have, and you'll probably even find uh, imperfections in it, but all that aside, you did
1: good work. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me here to this restaurant. Uh, the service was a little poor, but yeah, uh, I know we didn't get a coffee <laughs> refill one time, did we? Yeah, no, no, we didn't. i still uh, waiting on my eggs. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe, maybe next time if you come to Tucson, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can get it, get it done. Right.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: All right, man. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to end the recording right here. You've been listening to Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Eric Siepen and Pastor Andy Littleton. Please share us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.